Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Have you ever been stuck in the slow lane but didn't know how to get ahead? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with on today's show. Our guest is C-Suite advisor, Elizabeth Shaw, who shares how taking risks and changing lanes helped her build her career. Elizabeth Shaw is an industry thought leader and expert in marketing innovation. She brings over 20 years of experience at leading companies, including Sephora, Forrester, Gartner, Cisco, and Omnicom. Elizabeth is an advisor to Fortune 500 corporate leaders and guides them on how to adapt to the rapidly changing landscape of business and marketing. In this episode, Elizabeth shares her perspective on what her successes and failures have taught her, how to step into your personal power, and why human connection is the key to success in the digital age. Visit imbeyondbearers.com where you will find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Elizabeth. Welcome, Elizabeth. So great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. Well, let's dive uh, right in. Tell our audience about your story and, and just what you do for a living. And uh, how would you describe that at a, let's say, a dinner party? <laughs> it's funny because I think in 20 years, my parents still don't know what I do for a living. But uh, so I currently work for, for Gartner, and Gartner is a, a global consulting and research company. So I'm an analyst there. Uh, I write research and I consult with our Fortune 500 uh, clients on a, a daily basis. And I focus on marketing innovation and also marketing operations. So as the pace of change and the infiltration of technologies come to play, um, the way that we're working, the way we're thinking about marketing has um, shifted tremendously. And so that's been a fun topic. And I would say the last 20 years of my career have been focused holistically really on where marketing is going next and helping brands and marketing leaders um, to really navigate this, but then also thrive in the digital age, if you will. So it's been, it's been a great career so far. I love it. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a, a very unique career path, and uh, you're at the forefront of innovation, guiding big corporations and senior corporate leaders. How did you discover that um, competency or develop this career path? It's a unique cre uh, career path, absolutely. I think, I think my entire career, I've had a better sense of what I don't want to do versus what I do want to do. Um, so I think the first big example is my first internship was junior year of college, and I worked at Catchem, which is part of Omnicom, which is a massive media conglomerate, and I worked in PR, and I went to school for writing. I thought I was going to be the next great American author, and I thought, well, I'm not going to make any money doing this, so let's do something where I write, so maybe that's a press release, or maybe it's advertising copy, and so I... I, I, on a whim, really entered into marketing, and Catchem was really the first exposure I had to a very large corporate environment, and 
I had a very, um, it was an interesting summer for me. I, I'll never forget this gentleman had six kids. He worked on a massive account where a lot of eggs were in that basket for that market for Ketram. We lost the account and that day his desk cleared and he went home and they, they brought us into a room to tell us this news. And I'll never forget this woman raising her hand in front of me and saying, when are we going to be backfilling that position? And I was, I was crying. I, I felt so bad for this guy. And I felt, you know, his poor children and how is he going to survive? And then there's this woman that is kind of asking if she can have the role. And so it was too cutthroat for me. And I decided PR is, is not my thing. This is not my type of business. This is not my type of environment. And uh, that was the end of my PR career. And somebody said to me, well, maybe you'd be more interested in marketing. And uh, that's how I shifted into marketing. And I think marketing has changed so much. And if you think about all of the technologies, especially you know the entry of mobile and social marketing and all of these things, I think that I just naturally was um, interested in really following where marketing was going, what was new and what was next. And so from a very early point in my career, I made sure that I took positions or created roles that would allow me to do that because I found it very interesting. That's so fascinating that you know the things that you were certain you did not want to do really helped you figure right. out what you did want to do. And, uh, but it, it's, it's such a great way of reducing the number of options we're faced with. And Absolutely. that also allowed you to switch lanes. So I'm Curious about that because uh, oftentimes people are afraid to switch out of something they're doing, even if they're sure. not quite happy or it's not really aligned with what they might be great at. What helped you uh, switch not only from you know, potentially becoming a writer or an author to going into PR to going into marketing? And then you've had, uh, even within marketing, you've been at the forefront of innovation of products and then being an analyst. So tell us a little bit about how you were able to make so many switches. I, I have really made a lot of switches. I'm a I'm a serial lane changer, and I, I don't I don't I don't think I do it on purpose. I think that I'm just naturally interested in a lot of different things. I mean, as a as a practitioner, I've worked in tech, I've worked in retail, I've worked in you know beverage alcohol, and I've also um, you know worked at agencies where you work across so many different uh, accounts in so many different industries, and then now as an analyst and a consultant same thing. You know, I was on a call this morning with a financial services client. This afternoon, I'm talking to a CPG company. So in terms of industries, I've always been interested in and always played in, in different industries because I've always wanted to learn more about them. And what's interesting is, especially in retail and especially in beer, wine, and spirits, there are people, many, many people that focus their entire career on those industries. They're very specific industries. And so you have all of these veterans and it's almost weird when I went into retail that I wasn't from retail. I mean, they really do, you know, hire their own. So in some cases it might be even hard to do that, to, to do that lane switch. And I think 
you know, and so, so industry size of companies and things, you, you just get used to it. You, you, you understand what questions you need to ask to get ramped up in the conversation to really understand what their challenges are. And, and frankly, most of the challenges are the same across different industries, especially when you're talking about CMOs. I mean, they're all facing the same challenges for the most part. They're not so specific to their industry. So it's not really hard to flex across. And I think if I think about, you know, being a practitioner, working at an agency, and then being an analyst, I mean, those are really different role switches. And I think a little bit of that is, you know, the grass is always greener. So, you know, I, I'm a practitioner. Oh, I don't want to be a practitioner anymore. Let's see what it's like on the other side. And I think that I have this tendency to, you know, really kind of rip the rug out from underneath me. I'm a big proponent of change. I love challenges. And so not switching lanes would be kind of weird for me, if that makes sense. Totally. Uh, well, one of the things that people often share that prevents them from switching lanes is fear. You described it as, for you, the grass is greener on the other side, and there's a curiosity and hunger to learn that you know, allows you to follow your heart and go explore. What advice would you give to someone who's terrified of change and even though there might be bigger better opportunities um, they're not ready to switch lanes or they're afraid to switch lanes what kind of practical guidance could you give in terms of not only the necessity of embracing that kind of change but what tools or perspective would help them make that happen yeah I think that's a great question I, I the way that I tend to deal with it is I make that fear work for me. So um, if, if I'm scared of doing something, I can actually internalize that and it makes me very anxious and it weighs on me physically. And so I take that and I make that work for me. I just have to take that on because I have to get that off of my back. So it's using that energy and putting it towards something else. And I think for people that are nervous about change, I, I can't tell you how many matrixes, if that's the right word, I've created in Excel spreadsheets that ask me so many different questions and really make me put pen to paper on thinking through what that move is and if that's right for me. And once you start to do that, once you start to think about, okay, this is what I want, this is what I'm good at, this is what I don't want, suddenly that scary thing starts to make a little more sense. And so the more that you can formulize it and calculate it and, you know, put your pen to paper and really map it out, I think that will encourage you and give you the strength to perhaps make that decision more than doing it more blindly. That's excellent advice because really what you're describing is um, facing your fear and leaning right into it. You even described it yep. as, you know, you, you carry your fear and so you have to get it, uh, you know, work <laughs> through it. Uh, and that's a fascinating way of describing it as almost like a physical burden that you got to let go of. Um, and the process of sort of breaking it down and figuring out what's real versus what is just imaginary then allows you to process that. Well, it's funny because, you know, I talk on a daily basis to CMOs that are responsible for driving, quote unquote, digital transformation. And Nikki, I think we've talked about this in the past. And I just said, listen, you take a big, hairy problem and you start to break it down in parts. And once you start to attack the parts, then you get momentum to get to where you want to go. And it's the same with this 
very topic. Yeah. Um, you just need to begin to break it down into parts in the ways that um, I described. And, I, and then, you know, you get more of that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But I mean, more of that strength and um, willingness, I think, to, to take the lead. Yeah. Now you're unusual in your risk taking, um, and uh, you've always leaped into the great unknown uh, with such passion and enthusiasm, and very quickly co- conquered that mountain. So, um, w- when you observe, um, you know, other female professionals, are there things that you've observed that are patterns that perhaps prevent them from? taking advantage of opportunities in their career or even owning their success? Yeah, that's a great question. Oh, wow. I could answer that in so many different ways. I think, I think one of the biggest things that women need to fully understand is their, their worth. And you see a lot of, and I'm not just talking about comp. But um, really what, what unique skills and what they bring to an organization. And then there, there of course, is the comp piece. And you see all of these crazy st- statistics where women, they don't even ask for certain things, whereas men, you know, have no problem asking for certain things. And so I, I think, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but going on the ask piece, I mean, I, I would say probably the best advice that I've ever gotten both personally and professionally, my, my husband and I had just moved to San Francisco. We were broke. The housing market just crashed. We were living with my pregnant sister. I mean, it was just like a total nightmare. And I remember a really close friend of mine said, ask not, get not. And I know it sounds really easy, but if you put that in a daily practice, not only for work, but in life, doors will open for you that you would never imagine. So never stay stagnant where you are. Don't expect things to come to you. I mean, my my husband was nervous to ask for a raise. And I said, they're not going to be like throwing open the doors and saying, we're giving you a raise today. Like you have to go ask for that raise. And I think that sometimes women just get, um, you know, comfortable and don't really ask for, for what they want and what they deserve. Um, that is uh, such a common pattern, right? Of um, just keeping your head down, doing the hard work, and hoping to be recognized and rewarded for it. And that just does not work anymore. It's never it worked, but it's certainly work. now it doesn't work at all. On the uh, given all the um, amazing accomplishments you've had, is there one that you're particularly proud of? I. In fact, you were there, but uh, I would have to say my, my, my number one thing in my career that's really stood out to me is when I keynoted a Gartner conference and it was also the biggest, one of the biggest failures I ever had in my career. And the reason for that is, is that I was not myself and I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself and I thought for some reason that I had to act like I was at a podium like a president and I was very monotoned and I was just very scripted. And here I am wanting to really hone my skills as a public speaker. Here I am presenting content that I created that I feel really, really passionate about. And I completely blew the delivery because I didn't have the cojones to be myself. 
And I learned a lot from that experience. Um, so it's really interesting that I would say one of the highlights of my career was also, to me, one of the biggest failures that I've, I've certainly learned from. Wow. And that was a very public setting, too. Um, yes. For many people, it's sort of their people. worst nightmare, yeah. right? <laughs> Thousands of yeah. people in the audience, you're on stage, a spotlight shining right on you. And yes. at once, your greatest, most proudest career accomplishment. And, uh, you know, what you Well, sadly, consider. yeah, sadly, um, I got more compliments on my dress than I did on my um, speaking. So I knew there was a problem before I even got the scores. <laughs> so so, uh, so what what did you learn from that? I mean, wh- what was your big takeaway from um, that sort of public um, setback? I think um, I'm, I'm I, I would say that one of the, the biggest barriers is honestly the barrier I put on myself, which is I'm really hard on myself. I'm my own worst critic and I really beat myself up and I definitely can use a little more self-confidence and I can definitely use uh, building up a little more self-esteem. And I think when I, when I've listened to that keynote speech probably 15 or more times and every single time I listen to it, I pick something else up. And so those little things, you know, absolutely I'm pulling from it, but I think I, I needed the confidence to be me. And that's what I've learned. And now anytime that I'm in front of any of my clients or doing any sort of these things, I just have to believe in myself and who I am and that I don't need to, to conform to a way that I think I should be because I'm in this situation. I just need mm-hmm. to believe in myself and, and, and be myself more. And that was a huge turning point for me. And I think as I'm you know, older and I look back on you know, the 20 years that I've been working, I think, you know, this is the perfect time to really to own who I am and, and my personality and make sure that it comes across because I am passionate. Yeah. And um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very social and I love working with my coworkers. And so it's like, I need to remove this mask of what I think people think I should be. So it's uh, really about being unapologetically authentic and uh, exactly um, and we are living in an age of authenticity where it's very easy to spot someone who's putting on a mask or isn't fully themselves and uh, and yet at the same time so many of us struggle with the same thing of will we still be appreciated and respected and trusted if we are fully ourselves so um, right in learning from that particular experience to your journey of um, being authentically you, what are some of the things um, that you just either stopped doing or started doing that allowed you to not only feel more confident and show up being yourself? I think that I changed the way that I write. Um, you know, we have a very specific way that we write research, and I really wanted to talk about more provocative topics, and I wanted to write in more in my own voice, and we're at a time right now where we're kind of able to push push things that way, and so that felt more authentic and more me because that's a large part of my job. I... Um, I, it doesn't matter the size of the company. It doesn't matter if it's a CMO on the phone or if it's a director of social marketing on the phone. I am now authentically myself. I don't, 
um, try to, to be somebody that I'm not. I spend days on days with clients on site. And, um, you know, I, 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 I completely am myself. I'm professional. I'm not saying I'm not professional, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's more of my, um, uh, my personality comes through. And I am also very direct. I mean, I will tell it like it is. And uh, I'm not saying that um, to, put, to put you down or anything like that. I'm really trying to help you. And I think that just being that transparent and that direct can cut out a lot of unnecessary time and energy and really kind of get to the crux of the issue and to help clients, you know, achieve things faster and better. You're able to help more just because all of those barriers and pretenses are just gone. There's no walls anymore. It's kind of, you know, you're there as an expert who cares and you're there to help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as you have evolved your style and uh, you know you look forward into where the world is headed where culturally we're moving and you know what the change that technology has enabled there's so many shifts that are all happening at the same time and it's really challenging a lot of the things that were the norm before, whether it's in the corporate world or the business world, or even social norms are changing in such dramatic ways. And you are someone who literally is in the business of predicting the future and guiding people towards it. When you consider that, how do you see careers evolving? And uh, particularly, you know, what guidance would you give to uh, women professionals as they develop their careers so that they can show up you know, powerfully as opposed to being disrupted by that change? Yeah, I mean, there, there is so much going on um, with this. And I get a lot of questions around marketing organizations and how to structure organizations and what, how do I write job descriptions that are going to attract, you know, the new talent and is this going to be cool enough? And I mean, there's a million different ways that you can, you can tackle this. I think, I, I think, I think the skills that are being taught could be the skills that aren't necessarily required in today's workforce. And so, for example, marketing has shifted so much. There's so much new technologies, and I don't think CMOs need to be these technology experts, but they need to know enough to be dangerous. And so for me, I do a lot of uh, learning outside of my day job. You know, I do podcasts, you know, I'd listen to something like this, or I do, you know, Stanford D school certifications, or, you know, all these different ways to help me to stay current, because the skills required for today and tomorrow's work are, 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 are unique. Um, And like I said, I don't think that our education system has shifted in a way that's quite in line with what, what we need. And so I, for women, I would really take their, their learning and um, their skill sets back almost and, and take control of those versus a curriculum that guides them in this direction that they're being told and really understand, okay, where do I want to, where do I want to dig deeper on? What do I need to be learning? Because this is my dream job that I see this job description of on LinkedIn or you know, they're really not offering courses in this, but this is something I'm interested in. I mean, you really have to take that initiative because I don't think it's being carved out for people in the way that it necessarily should. Yeah, and needing to own your own 
professional development and even personal yeah, development absolutely. Uh, is yeah. an absolute necessity now because uh, schools and colleges uh, are not preparing people with uh, what's necessary to succeed. But it's also changing so fast that it doesn't matter what you know. It's probably outdated in about 18 months anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, that's nice if it's 18 months, but I mean, usually it's worse than that. But I think this is a negotiating is is critical. Um, it, you know, everybody should have really the basics of negotiating. And where I'm going with this is I when I'm looking at new roles, I ask really specific questions around this area in particular. You know, what what do you give me or what is the professional development that I can expect if I were to be in this role? And the questions are really all over the map. And sometimes they'll say, oh, well, it's whatever you want to be. Just tell us what you want to do. And so what I do is I, I do tell them exactly what I expect from that. I expect them to pay for this course. I expect to go to these two conferences a year. I expect that during those conferences, I'm absolutely not doing any work so I can actually absorb. Um, and so that should be part of the negotiating of the role is really understanding what they're going to reinvest in you if you were to come within the organization. And now with as many of the diversity and inclusion initiatives that are going on with these large corporations, there's a lot of additional opportunity outside of professional development um, that they should be asking about is say, what are your DNI initiatives? You know, what are you working on? What are you offering your employees? And they should have an answer to that. That's very, very good practical advice that I think everyone should adopt because um, it, it's phenomenal that you have a vision of exactly how you want to develop and you're really looking at roles or jobs as providing what you need in order to become that future you versus going from career or job to job and developing based on their needs or their definition. Well, I actually have been in the position three times in my career where I've written my job description and sold it in to an organization. So in one instance, they, I interviewed for something, but afterwards they said, you don't really need me for this. You really need me for this. And so I think, you know, in my space, when you're trying to think ahead and be ahead, you also have to refine what that what that role looks like. And so I would tell women to not be scared to try to help shape a job or a role. It doesn't have to be this thing that lives on a paper that can't move or be tweaked. And frankly, your insight and your expertise and your willingness to do that, I think that's, I mean, if I were a hiring manager and somebody were to come to me and say, listen, this is a great role, but I, I really think that this role could have this type of responsibility or focus more on this, I'd be like, okay. We have an asset. We have somebody that gets the business. It's already contributing. I mean, to me, that makes it a strong candidate. So I don't, I don't think people should be really, really fearful um, and should should take the risk to try to, to craft things because things are changing so much. I mean, a hundred times over, I'll get um, a job role description and it's a template that HR gave them. It's totally outdated. The requirements are wrong. I mean, so, you know, don't, don't, yeah, don't get too nervous about what's just on paper. I, I, I think there's movement there more than ever now. 
So rather than looking at the job description as um, this is exactly what they want and there's no ability, it's totally black and white, there's no ability to negotiate or change anything on it. In fact, there's uh, an interesting stat about how oftentimes women will look at a job description and look at the list of this 10 things required and they're missing just two. They won't even apply because it's sort of yeah. like, well, I'm not sure I meet all the criteria and yet men will meet six out of 10 and feel like they're totally qualified. So your advice is, you know, that's just directional guidance, but it's really about us taking the initiative, the creativity and having confidence to state how we can add value in that position and not be afraid to do that. Yes. And you said it much better than I did. That's exactly (laughs) what I would recommend. I mean, I, I think every job I've ever applied for said that an MBA was re- required and I never went to business school. So, I mean, don't, to your point, don't look yeah. at two things and, and feel like you're automatically disqualified. Yeah, it's really having an entrepreneurial mindset. At the end of the day, focus on the value you can create and find a way to get there. Absolutely. So speaking of, we've talked a lot about how much is changing. The industry is changing, even the nature of uh, jobs and job requirements are changing. In that kind of chaotic, fast-moving environment, we all struggle with focus. Being able to find the balance, being able to not be stressed and overwhelmed and anxious all the time, um, I think it's a pretty common challenge. And I'm sure the constant dings and notifications from our, yeah. you know, our laptops and our phones don't help us. Um, how do you manage um, through all of, you know, especially being in the business of change, how do you, on one hand, have passion for change, but also manage um, to deal with it and find the focus personally in that? um, That's a tricky question. I mean, I... I think I ironically just went to a PTO meeting for my kid around screen time. And so my husband and I have made this pact that we're not going to be on our phones when we're home with our kids. So that's been a big change. I think, um, I think if I, if I go back to where you were talking about with focus, I think it it, it is, it's pretty crazy when you think about, I mean, I, I hate being in a meeting or I hate speaking and somebody's on their phone, right? They're completely not there. Everybody is multitasking. And I think I've almost, um, I, I don't know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I've, I've reverted back to some really old school ways in my personal life and in my career. So I used to be that person always on you know, doing everything, working through every vacation. And I don't know if it's now that I'm a little bit older and grouchier, but I really um, manage my calendar at work very tightly. So I block off things on my calendar and I use that time. And nobody's allowed to touch that time. Nobody's allowed to book over that time. And so that I know for the critical thinking that I know that needs to get done is getting done then and not getting done on a weekend or an airplane or at night after my kids go to bed, because that's what happens. When you're, you're, you're responding to all the dings and all the emails, you have to carve out of your real life you know, the time to actually get the work done. And that catches up with you after a while. And when your priorities change and shift as my did after I had children, you're not willing to give that time up anymore. You know, you, that time is absolutely critical. So for me, 
my, my calendar management, my, my husband actually laughs at me because I always say, hey, if it's not on the calendar, it's not happening. So he'll say, oh, you know, tonight we have dinner with the so-and-sos. I'm like, no, we don't. It's not on the calendar. <laughs> so it's just, it has to be on the calendar. So that's number one. And um, I, I think, too, that in, in terms of life, people just really need to unplug. So if you don't get recharged, you know, if you're on vacation, I, I remember the last vacation we went on after we had our two kids, we went to Spain and I was completely off the grid and I came back so reinvigorated. I came back with so many ideas and you just, it, it was like, oh my gosh, wow, this vacation was really good for me. It actually is making me work better, you know, versus working through your vacation. So I think you know, putting those parameters and really being um, tough on not letting people move those. It's like, no, you can't book over that. No, you know, you really have to. And then they, they start to understand. They start to learn. Mm -hmm. But you have to be very, very protective of your time and, and take your own time and use that wisely. And I think that that will, that will help you. That's an amazing recommendation because it's ultimately about drawing boundaries. And you're choosing how you want to invest your time versus allowing someone else's priorities define how your time gets spent and also being able to disconnect in ways that are healthy for you to then gain even better connection a deeper connection to your work and your community is really effective i had a um i have a really close friend of mine that i respect and i used to work with and she just got a senior leadership position at a massive startup in San Francisco. And when she was interviewing, she said to the recruiter, she said, you have me from eight to five and I will work as hard as you want me to between eight and five. But after that, I'm a mom. And she got the job and I couldn't believe it. I was shocked because yeah. God, can you imagine a woman walking in and, and, and doing that and setting those parameters? But she knew that whatever she was going to do next was going to be her last thing. She was going to retire after that. And it had to be the right cultural fit. And she went in there with those parameters and those boundaries, and she got it. And she's my hero. Like, she is my new hero. And that is what, you know, if, when and if I ever move, I will absolutely do that. I mean, why not? Yeah. Um, and it's and like, so let's stop negotiating against ourselves, right? Let, let's not assume Absolutely. that we can get what we truly deserve and need in order to be successful and bring the best out in us. Yep. And she's killing it. And their company's killing it. So, I mean, she's, like I said, she's my hero right now, for sure. That's fantastic. Well, as you have uh, developed your career and your influential network, you know, it's... Um, it takes many years to become someone that is trusted and respected by other influential and powerful people. And now looking back, what, what has helped you get there? And what advice would you give to someone starting out who's looking at that may or may not even have a LinkedIn profile, or maybe they do, and they've got a grand total of 20 connections? You know, uh, How would you guide them in terms of really looking at not only the power of proximity and, and authentic relationships, but how does one go about doing that? Well, I... I have spent a tremendous amount of time fostering and networking with people. 
Um, before that was very event-based. So living in Chicago and New York, I would go to the American Marketing Association events and then LinkedIn and other things came into play. You know, it became a lot more uh, easier, as you can imagine, to, to network with people. I think if I, if one of the, the things that I always tell people and I take calls, you know, for, with, with, with kids in, in college that are looking to do a career in marketing and have questions for me. And I always say, listen, Number one is have a good sense of what you want, because more times than not, I get on the phone with these younger people and they say, I don't know what I want. Just my mom told me to call you because I said something <laughs> like, I can't help you if you can't tell me what you want. So I think if you want to build a network, I think you need to be active in terms of, you know, sharing content and engaging with people. And then also, I think still professional networking at conferences and in person is, is very valuable. But I always tell people, okay, when you go to somebody and you talk to them about what you're looking for, make sure at the end of that conversation, you get three people. That, that they need to make an introduction for you. So I might be talking to somebody and they say, oh my gosh, I'm really interested in PR. And I said, oh, well, I need to introduce you to so-and-so at Ketchum and, you know, write down that name. And at the end of the call, you go back and you say, yes, it'd be great to, you know, if you could follow up with make an introduction with this person and this person. And is there one more person that you would recommend? And just go from there. And every call you get three people and you get three people. And if you do that, you will have, you know, interesting conversations, you will meet like-minded people. And so that is a very grassroots way, I think, of, of doing that. And I've, I've followed that throughout my career, and I've found it tremendously helpful. The power of building your network through referrals, really, of uh, tapping Absolutely. into other people's networks through that. You also mentioned being very comfortable and having these conversations. And that is not that's not typical. A lot of women especially struggle with saying, okay, I might have a great network, whether it's LinkedIn or in real life. Um, I know powerful, influential people who can help me, help me grow my business or help me develop in my career. I just don't know how to ask or I don't know what to say. And I'm frankly a little that. awkward or embarrassed to even say that. So how, how would you guide them? Ask not, get not. I'm telling you, put that in practice. Just start asking. I like what one of my one of my favorite LinkedIn moments was I was in between jobs and I had a very I had a I had a very focused sense of what I wanted. And so I exported all of my LinkedIn contacts into an Excel spreadsheet and I grouped them into different categories. And then I crafted different messages for each of those categories. And I just started firing away and I landed a job. I landed the exact job I wanted, in fact. And so if you, yeah, I mean, just, you, you just have to ask. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's so hard. And is there an art to asking? It sounds like when you talk, when you mention asking, you're also leading by giving. I like if I, so, you know, for example, this is a good example. So perhaps you go to somebody and you say, listen, I need a 5% raise because I've been taking on all of this extra activity or responsibility, or we need to talk about taking something off of my plate. So right there, you're kind of asking, but telling, mm -hmm. you know, in a sense. And I think, Another thing is I, I have this awesome boss that I worked with and I adore her. And she said something to me. She said, you can never lose an argument with data. 
And so if you're prepared with like proof points and talking points, and I'm not talking just numbers, to support your thinking and to provide you the confidence going into those conversations, it's going to make that ask piece a lot easier. Right. Absolutely. So it just, ultimately, it's knowing how to uh, gain the attention of who you're speaking to and speaking in their language, but most importantly, just asking, because if you don't approach them, you're not going to get anything. Yeah. I mean, if like, you know, you're, you have a hot chocolate and you want extra marshmallows, you know, 99.9% of the time, they're going to give you the extra marshmallows for free. I mean, you just have to, and that's what I mean by using it in a daily practice. Like once you get in that habit, it doesn't become that scary. It's, so, it's like building a muscle of just learning to ask every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so telling is, you. Is there, of all the incredible people you've uh, had uh, the privilege of working with or collaborating with, is there someone on your dream list, if you will, that you would love to learn from that you haven't asked yet or approached yet? Uh, mm, that's tough. I, so I'm a huge fan of Michelle Obama. I mean, politics aside, I think for me, my husband and I are very 50-50. We are very even in our household. And so I think what was unique about her was she was really, in my opinion, one of the first first ladies to come into a very highly visible role and act as an equal and be treated as an equal. And um, I actually have had the opportunity to, to meet her very, very briefly at an event. And I've never been more nervous in my life. You know, and she's like, if, when you live in New York, you're not supposed to even like, you know, look twice at a, at a celebrity, right? Like it's a New Yorker thing to do. Like they're not cool or you're not cool if you give them any, um, you know, any say or time or attention. This was just a totally different thing. I mean, the second I saw her, I just kind of melted. I just couldn't believe it. And she has this presence and she has this way of speaking to an audience where you want to jump out of your chair. Like you, I wanted to run out of that auditorium in Austin and do something like she has that power and she's very true to herself. If we think about the beginning of the conversation where I'm really hard on myself, I didn't act myself. It was a huge failure for me. You know, here's this woman that stays true to herself, no matter what the situation is. And I find that um, to be remarkable. And um, I think that she's an incredible role model for, for young women and women, you know, m my age. I think she's, uh, she, she's incredibly inspiring in that way. Yeah, and she uh, definitely stands out as uh, a powerful leader and a, and a role model for women lifting other women uh, who's done so much to you know, uh, pave the path for others to follow, especially as you think about you know, the times we're living in and the level of disruption that's going to even multiply further. Um, what's your perspective on the power of community and lifting each other up? Well, I'm, I'm highly community driven. I, um, I, I, my mom is Southern and anytime I moved somewhere, I even did this in college, I would make lemon bars or make cookies and I drop them off to the door and I'd introduce myself. And, you know, today, especially on the West coast, people look at you like there's razor blades in your lemon bars, you know, it's just like, what are you doing? And I would explain, Oh, my mother's Southern. This is what we do. Um, but it's through that, I, I think, you know, as people just continue to 
be so focused on their, their phones and their own things, it's actually much more difficult to build a community. And you really have to put yourself out there. You know, you really have to go door to door with the chocolates or the lemon bars and really throw yourself out there. And it's amazing just, you know, on, on the street that I lived on in the three years, I mean, we've really become very, very, very close. And I think the same thing is, is, is for work. It's just, you, you need to give back as much as you're taking in and, you know, you will build an ecosystem around you and they will be fully supportive and they will try to lift you up and you will do the same thing. You know, you just have to go out there and do it. And it takes time and it takes effort. And sometimes you don't want to do it or you don't have time to do it, but you just have to do it. You have to make that time because it's, it's so rewarding. And if I think about my career and what's gotten to me where I am today, it is those people that went above and beyond, those people that believed in me, that gave me that confidence I needed. It wasn't the company or the job or, you know, it was those people. And so I think both in life and both in work, that community aspect and building that and fostering that and contributing to that is vital. Yeah, so technology may change a lot of things, but the one thing that stays constant is human connection. In fact, it becomes even more important. I, absolutely. I, you know, they're going back to the community example. I mean, there's Nextdoor, which is essentially, you know, the, the community social network for, you know, the entire street. And I just, I, I don't participate in that because I just think that human interaction is still so in, in, important. And I think going back to the screen time example, the thing at my child's school, you know, I'm, I'm terrified of, the, you know, the social skills that are not being taught by these children that are constantly in front of these devices. And I'm, you know, I'll go somewhere and there'll be four kids at one table and they're all looking at their phone and they're not talking to each other. And so I think the role that I need to play with my children for the next generation is making sure that we don't lose that human connection because, you know, things are changing so much and these technologies are, are, are coming into play. And I think that, you know, we really need to be the ones to, to set the bar there and, and, and lead by example. So speaking of connection, how, what's the best way for our audience to connect with you? They've learned so much from you today in terms of practical tips to strategic guidance and your perspective on the future of the world, but more importantly, on what it takes to be truly human and be authentic. Um, how should they find you? I, am, I will always make time. So please either connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm a power user on LinkedIn. People say, I never talked to you, but I always see you on LinkedIn. Um, or, or email me. You can email me at elizabeth.shawgartner.com and I will respond, I promise. And I'm willing to get on the phone with anybody that has questions, anybody that wants to learn more about any aspects of the industries or, you know, things within marketing, I'm, I'm absolutely available and, and will continue to always make myself available. Oh, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your advice and your wisdom. This has been phenomenal. I think uh, your uh, very, very authentic ad advice is going to guide a lot of people in finding their way because it's interesting for someone who is truly at the forefront of innovation and has been, you know, uh, is an advisor to all these big corporations and leaders about the impact of technology and digital. All the things you shared are about humanity and about connection. And so thank you for bringing that perspective. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. 
Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com, and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast, or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode. Thank you.